This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am your host, S, as Larry said on the Twitter <laughs> this week, Amy Beth Shaver. Um, Larry Taunton, how are you? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm, I'm good. I'm, you know, hurriedly, you know, I know this is going to air later, but hurriedly still shopping for Christmas. Not good. I have two kids with Christmas-ish um, birthdays. Also a little stressful. Yeah. Because you don't want to put... One, one of mine's birthday is today. Oh, happy birthday to one yeah. of your kids. Yep. Yep. It's Michael's birthday today. Happy birthday, Michael. So I don't think he even listens to the show. But if I he, bet uh, he does. How can <laughs> but, he not listen to his dad? But if he does, it's uh, it's happy birthday. So, yep. Yep. He's got... Uh, and uh, my mom's birthday was yesterday. So they're, they're, uh, they're, they're both Christmas babies. I've got those two. And when they were born, I don't know if you guys had the same conversation, but the promise was, please don't put their their birthday presents in Christmas wrapping. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Or feeling like, you know, they, they get robbed, you know, because yes. uh, you just go, you know, we'll just pull out one of those Christmas <laughs> presents and put it over here for the uh, for the birthday present. And just uh, just do that and be done with it. But um, yep. Yep, all is well in the uh, the Taunton household. I think we're all done with that. Good. I think we're all done with uh, with our Christmas shopping, and so now we're just we're getting ready for the new year, which um, honestly can't get here fast enough. Um, you know, I, I I'm, but I am happy my kids are coming home um, soon. So I'll have one 24 hour period where everybody will be in my house excited about that. Um, because I think as a parent, that's not anything you ever get used to. I see all the young families and I'm like, Oh, they're so cute. Like enjoy every second that you have together. Um, because one is coming in and the other one is leaving, but there's that window, um, of time. And while we're thrilled for them to be out of the nest and on their own, it's still a delightful time of yeah, year. Yeah, it's very special for moms um, to, uh, and dads too, but moms especially to have all the kids home. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, this Christmas uh, hopefully will be a very special one for all the people who are watching and listening, uh, watching us in Times Square and uh, Trafalgar Square. And, uh, all the squares. All the squares. Uh, Red Square <laughs> were very popular in <laughs> Moscow. For sure. So, Obviously. yes. We we Feliz Navidad. We we wish everyone a uh, a very merry Christmas. Well, uh, when we come back, I have something for you. You've already brought it up today. Uh, I'll let you introduce it when we come back from break. But we have a fantastic show, and I'm excited about it because you are doing a a Twitter thread on the difference between fascism and the like, which I think a lot of people don't know much about, or we kind of confuse the two or three or four, and we want them to be the same and they're different. Um, But the other thing is the Twitter files. Part two, because as this unravels, it becomes quite the tangled web. It really has. It is uh, is a mess, and uh, Musk is uh, revealing a lot of criminal activity 
at at Twitter. So yeah. Are you not bothered by the amount of times, for example, Elon and I think a couple other people have seen that are saying, I did not commit suicide or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Like I know they're joking, but I also understand that this is deadly serious. Yeah, it is. And he uh, he spoke of this week of his family being harassed mm. in a in a big way. People thinking the automobile that was his, um, that he was inside it and he wasn't. It was his uh uh, it was his, I think, his wife and his children, and, um, and some Antifa types were were um, blocking the car and jumping on the hood and this kind of thing. Uh, I obviously trying to intimidate, terrify, and uh, you know, but Musk wasn't there. He wasn't uh, he wasn't part of it. But yeah, I I think the guy is uh, is going to face. Um, uh, a lot of threats and uh, potential threats, uh, economic threats, mm-hmm. uh, because he is an existential threat to the political left, the p- political and cultural left. And they've got to stop him. And uh, I think they'll, they'll do absolutely anything to do that. Okay, so stick around. We'll be right back. ABS, Automatic Braking System, also known as Amy Beth Shaver, pumps the brakes. When you brought up the illuminated White House that you couldn't quite see, <laughs> because our Explain audience... That to everybody. Okay, so our audience may or may not know that you were profoundly colorblind. Yes. I mean, so when Apparently. you were younger, <laughs> you wanted your mom to buy a basically a blood red couch. Yeah, that's right. right. Because you thought it I was loved it. fabulous. I because it was you beautiful. can see red and orange, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I can. Well, if you see colors, you can see those. Yeah, I, I'm attracted to them like a bull to a, you know, a, a matador's, <laughs> you know, towel or blanket or whatever it is. But yes, um, I can see those. I love so, them. I he, wish the whole world were an orange. <laughs> You know what? And I even had an orange sweater. And if it wasn't nasty, just because it's a casual sweater, I would clo- have I would have worn it. I would have been sitting closer to you. Uh, because my teenager was like, Mom, that's a cool sweater. I'm like, that's because you helped pick it out. Yeah. Uh, pick it out. Anyway, so you mentioned that the White House was illuminated. And you thought, what is everybody fired up yeah, about? Yeah, I saw that on social media that there, were, there was a snapshot of the White House illuminated and, you know, at night, and uh, people kept saying things like demonic, evil, awful, perverted. And I kept thinking, what's, I don't understand the photo because I'm looking at the photo and I thought the White House looks pretty good. I mean, this looks nice. And so I kept, you know, blowing up the pictures, trying to see if, you know, if there, there was something in it I wasn't seeing. Is there a swastika in there? Was there, was there something really evil? But... The truth is... They were celebrating the Respect for Marriage Act. And they... Which is anything but, as you have taught me in my reading, I am furious. Not only that they lit the White House up, but that so many Republicans caved. That not only did they cave on this act, but... This had nothing to do with respecting marriage. But what was the White House? What was the, the deal? The White House was the gay pride flag. Okay, so it was illuminated. So it was illuminated to celebrate in all in 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 the rainbow, which has been hijacked. In the rainbow, from which from the Bible, God will from not the Christian faith, from Judaism. Exactly. And they've hijacked that to celebrate uh, um, gay nonsense. And um, and so that's what I couldn't see because I'm colorblind. It just looked illuminated to me. I didn't know that it was a gay pride flag. 
that was there and continue. So I think it's interesting. Our producer's joking at, at <laughs> the thought loving, of this because he's really upsetting. This is to very him. funny. But but here's the deal. It's something that you just said. It's that because you're colorblind, you couldn't see. I can't see, see gay people. You couldn't. <laughs> Couldn't see the flag. I cannot see gay people with uh, lights, basically on the White House. <laughs> but too often, we can't see that the people we elected to serve are stabbing us in the back on yep. a regular basis. They're calling things the respect for marriage, Just the defense like the of marriage. What was it? The inflation reduction. The, the inflation <laughs> reduction. They're Act, lying yeah, like thieves, and we're buying into it. Every single time. Well, I don't think you're buying into it. I'm not buying into uh, it. A lot of people in this audience aren't buying into it. But there are a lot of people who are very stupid who do buy into this. Thank you. Because this is what the left does. They call they call good evil and evil good. That's exactly it. And uh, it's it's just the way the left works. This is uh, this is all deception. It's all sleight of hand. It's all smoke and mirrors. And so that is that's what happened. And of course. The funny thing was, if I had been visiting the White House that day, they would have been very puzzled that the propaganda wasn't working because I would have come in and said, "Hey, Joe, the White House looks fabulous. I love the, <laughs> I love the illumination, the colors." And they'd be thinking, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he's getting it. We meant to offend him with that, to stick that to him. But I would have been saying, "Hey, family, let's pose in looks front of the really White House. Pretty. Let's get a picture in front of the White House. It looks great." But yeah, I could not see the colors. And uh, so for the longest time, I kept seeing again and again and again these pictures of the White House illuminated, not knowing what all the hubbub was and thinking there must be some evil Waldo. You know, where's Waldo? What's going on in this photo that I'm not seeing? And I felt very stupid because I thought there's something in the photo that I don't understand. And it was only when, when somebody posted and saying, you know, it's disgusting to see the White House illuminated and you know, gay pride. And I was like, ah, that's what's going on. I can't see these colors Mm -hmm. here. So, you know, it's the Lord has given me this gift that I cannot see gay people. So I, um, I can't, it's, um, it's what's happening. So I'm sorry if you're part of the LGBTQI plus alphabet. There's 97, 97 (laughs) options right now. 97. Yes. I learned that yesterday. I was yesterday years old when I, I learned. I think we should on this show invent three more just to make it an even I think 100. It's a, I think... Um, just to make it an even 100. Donut. Uh, <laughs> donut should be a part of it. Uh, I don't even know. I can't contribute. But that literally, when I saw the White House, then you began to understand that it had nothing to do with marriage. Obviously, we knew that it had yeah. nothing to do with marriage. But then who he invites, which would be the drag queens of the hour, who are <clears throat> vile... I'm not even going to repeat the drag queen in specific that he invited to the White House and what he has said. Uh, I will let our dear listeners and our viewers go and look that up for themselves. But it's unbelievable that this is passing um, for acceptable behavior today. But the person that he invited to celebrate the Respect for Marriage Act is unbelievable. Is is a drag queen. And... Listen, this is something, this is a, a very important point here because I want people to understand this who are, um, who are watching and, uh, and listening. And were this show not aired on DirecTV, I would have um, producer Matt put these images up yeah. 
on the screen so people can see them. Instead, you'll have to look them up for yourself or you'll already know who I'm talking about. <clears throat> people may wonder, why is it that with this administration, the Biden administration, which is corrupt to its black-hearted core, um, why is it that we've seen this extraordinary spike mm. in sexual perversion? The push for um, the sexualization of children, for performing irreversible sex change operations on children, Dr drag queen shows, Sam Brinton, who was just fired for stealing people's luggage, uh, but Sam Brinton, who was with the, uh, the Department of Energy, nuclear energy you know, uh, uh, engineer, uh, who's a drag queen, um, Rachel, Rachel Levine, a man uh, um, who claims to be a woman who is the assistant secretary for health, who's grown his hair out long and wears dresses and this kind of stuff, where we are seeing uh, LGBTQ, um, you know, rainbow flags and this sort of thing in the United States Army. This past week, a colonel in the United, a colonel in the army. I can only imagine if my father were still alive, what he would say mm -hmm. about this, this kind of thing. If anybody thinks I'm politically incorrect, it would have been awesome to have my dad on the <laughs> I show. I mean, that would have been like <laughs> my, lit. I, my, during the break, <laughs> I will tell you a story. Um, but uh, I can only imagine his his response to something like this. You know, he was a career soldier. And uh, who you know, no one loves to, by the way, no one loves to complain about the Army so much as veterans of the Army, and yet no one is more proud of their service than yes, veterans yes. of the Army. But I mean, they complain nonstop about the Army, but if you challenge it, you know, this past week, the Army-Navy game, I promise you they're rooting for Army in, in, uh, in that game, and Army did win. So, you, you know, you, you have all these different drag queens uh, you have uh, the sexualization of children. You have uh, drag queen shows for children. You are have seeing now a push for pedophilia, mm. that, an attempt to mainstream it and legalize it. The mm. point I mm -hmm. want to make is this. If you are thinking that this is incidental to the left's ideology, I want to reassure you that it is core to their ideology. This is who they are. It's not just a um, an accidental byproduct of it. It is core to who they are. And and I'm not suggesting that every Democrat, you know, is in favor of drag queen shows for for children. I'm right. simply saying to you that the engineers, the current engineers of um, of our society, uh, the 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 people who are pulling the levers right now, this is what they're about. And it's not just simply cultural Marxism about the destruction of the family, which of course it is, but it is because this is who these people are. It is central to their ideology. And some of you who follow me on social media will, will know that this past week, I, uh, I tweeted a screenshot. I tweeted a screenshot from, um, oh, what's his name? William Shire's Rise and Fall of the mm -hmm. Third Reich. Uh, William Shire, that. who was who was uh, a journalist in Germany during Hitler's rise, and he was there, you know, pretty close to Pearl Harbor. You know, before the declaration of war, he he came home, but he he met Hitler. He had met his inner circle. He he knew the key Nazis. He had observed that movement, and in his book, The Rise and Decline of the Third Reich. Well, excuse me, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. 
which is a classic. It's a definitive uh, book on the Third Reich. Uh, and I'm honestly, I'm amazed these passages haven't yet been removed by mm -hmm. the publisher, mm -hmm. which can easily be done on the electronic versions. He makes the point repeatedly through the book that they were, and I'm quoting him, sexual perverts. Yes. He says they were sexual perverts. He says they were homosexuals. Um, they were, um, you know, raging homosexuals. Uh, they were engaged in every kind of, of sexual perversion. And he says this is this was core to fascist ideology. It was core to who they were. And there are those people who will say, well, isn't that just a result? I mean, didn't they eventually send, you know, homosexuals and so on to the to the prison camps. I mean, surely this isn't who they were. They did the ones they deemed to be effeminate. Mm. But you see, they they considered the homosexuality kind of the way the Greeks did in, you know, prior to the collapse of the, uh, you know, of classical Greece, they considered it an expression of domination and of power, of a kind of hyper-masculinity, which sounds strange. How in the world can you say homosexuality is? But the point is, that's the way they perceived right. it. And that's who these people are. This is what they're about. So I knew that you would like that, um, just the whole concept, because I've watched and read what you've been writing and what you've commented about. But when I realized earlier today when we were talking about the lighthouse being lit up and not seeing what it really was, um, but it was actually the gay pride flag celebrating all things that were absolutely <clears throat> perverse and vile in the sight of God and man, um, the celebration then of pedophilia and what's happening in schools, what's happening in culture, because it is ubiquitous, um, I was very triggered by that. Um, and I thought, you know what, we need to talk about this. However, I'm going to do something that I haven't done before because I know that there are people listening and watching that have family members that are in that lifestyle. We'll be together over the holidays. And I don't know if you've read anything by Christopher Ewan. He wrote I'm Holy not. Sexuality. And he is a, a well-known speaker, um, a great guy, and an amazing story. He wrote a book uh, with his mom. He was three months from becoming a dentist when all hell broke loose in his life. Um, but he speaks with people like Sean McDowell and the like. His book's called Holy Sexuality. And I would offer that uh, to our listeners. If you want to read something that is a biblical worldview on sexuality and on marriage, I recommend this to you because those conversations that we're having are getting more and more difficult to have because it's everywhere. And I think too often people feel lost when they confront a family member or they're labeled as being a bigot because you won't accept that lifestyle. This book really affected my thinking. Um, and then from uh, Toby Sum Sumter is out in Moscow, Idaho with Doug Wilson and that group. And he has a phenomenal sermon on Mark 10. And I'll make sure that they're in the show notes. But I want to offer that as hope to people who are struggling, who are lost, who have family members, they don't know what to do. I would recommend that this is something that you can share with those family members, because Christopher Ewan is coming out of a gay lifestyle. Mm. And he is a an amazing intellect, went to Moody Bible Institute, um, you'd really enjoy it. They, and, they attack these guys. And they attack these guys in a very big way. But I 
not only want to talk about it because I can't believe our White House would be lit up that way, but this is who they are. But I also want to offer hope the same way that we talked about our abortion show months ago. These are hopeful things that we can read, we can study, and then we can be equipped to have those difficult conversations. Um, But stay with us because when we come back, we're going to talk about the difference between fascism, Marxism, communism, socialism, and then the Twitter files. Don't go anywhere. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Larry is my favorite player. Welcome back. So we hear the term, you fascist, or you, you're, you're a socialist, or that's communist. Do we really know what those terms mean? Uh, I don't think most of the time that people use those terms that they do know what they mean, and hence the reason that I want to explain them. Um, and as I'm explaining them, I should first tell you this. If you are looking it up, you know, as a, you know, as a, in your dictionary, just this past week, the Cambridge Dictionary, the Cambridge Dictionary I saved re- this. redefined what a woman is. Yes. Now, on paper, they redefine it. You can't read. There, there are words we use that need to be redefined from time to time. Uh, and hence, Bible translations are so important, and that's because yes. the language is evolving. But there, there are things that you can't redefine, mm-hmm. no matter what your dictionary says. So if we want to redefine you know, what a fireman is throughout history, there may be some slight variations in that. But you can't, you can't actually redefine what a woman is, right. right? I mean, a woman is what a woman is. That's, right. that's, uh, that's something that's established from creation. It's established by God. But nonetheless, this past week, the, the Cambridge Dictionary you know, decided to, um, to, to bend the knee to the, to the uh, spirit of the age and to redefine it in a way that it accommodates um, transgender men. Well, in the same way, I've noticed that the definition of fascist mm. has been played with over the course of the, oh, the last five years to try to make it sound like a MAGA hat wearing type. I mean, seriously. Right. Oh, sure. If you're somebody who's patriotic, you're a potential fascist. If you're if you're someone who believes in a strong leader, you're a potential fascist. If you believe in in capitalism, you're a fascist. If you believe in closed borders, you are a fat, you know, this kind of thing. But, you know, when I was doing a um, degrees in uh, in in history, specifically uh, European history, Russian history, Marxism, socialism are issues that you're getting into in a in a very big way. And uh, and fascism uh, also, and fascism has historically been defined in this way: it is a strict regimentation of the economy for war, sometimes having hyper nationalistic um, tendencies. Not not merely nationalistic, but hyper nationalistic tendencies, and also uh, a strong strain of anti-Semitism. Sometimes, not always. Uh, now, we move that definition, come to the present, and what do we see? Mm-hmm. Well, again, fascism, fascism as unique from, say, uh, uh, socialism, fascism believes in private property. Uh, but, but all private property, all business, all industry is controlled by the state 
for state purposes. So again, if you take the classic example, which is Nazi Germany, yeah, Porsche and Volkswagen and BMW, they were privately owned. However, their, their um, production, uh, Krupp, you know, most famously the, the Krupp factories who were the armorers for, for the, uh, um, the German empire for three centuries, their production is all state directed for the purpose of war. Volkswagen, you're going to build tanks and BMW, you're going to build, you know, aircraft and uh, Krupp, you're going to build uh, artillery and this kind of thing. So it's directed for the purpose of war. Now let's move to the present and where we are now. What we're seeing from the left, um, the American left, is what I will call fascio Marxism. It's this odd, um, or, or maybe odd isn't quite the right word. It is a modern manifestation of Marxism blending with fascism to create a, a, a sort of new manifestation of both of those ideologies. It's this kind of Frankensteinian, mm -hmm. you know, kind of ideology. And let, let me get at what I mean by this. Hopefully people will, will stick with me in this as I explain it. Socialism is where the state, you know, there's no private property and the means of production are owned by the state. Okay? So okay. That's, that's socialism. The highest stage of socialism where there's no need of government and so on is called communism. Now, that's never been achieved. And hence, the, the definitions on these things are a little bit loose because we refer to communist Russia and communist uh, North Korea and communist Vietnam and communist China. And technically speaking, they never achieved communism, mm -hmm. which is that utopian stage of socialism. Um, we tend to use socialism and communism somewhat inter interchangeably. Then there's Marxism. Marxism is a particular strain of socialism. So maybe the easiest way for me to explain that is to say that while all Marxists are socialists, not all Marxists, excuse me, not all socialists are Marxists. Did I say that right? You so, did. So not all Marx, all Marxists are socialists, but not all socialists are Marxists. And that's mm -hmm. because Marxism is a particular brand of, of socialism. And that's that's where Karl Marx, who didn't buy into the idea that socialism could be achieved peacefully, that it was going to require bloody revolution. It'd have to come at the end of a bayonet, uh, which is the way it's always achieved anywhere in the world, as JFK observed a long time ago. Um, that's Marxism. So, uh, and Marxism is is what we're seeing in the United States, an element of Marxism. It's what we saw in, you know, communist Russia and socialist Russia, China, North Korea, Vietnam, and elsewhere, Cuba. These are all Marxist, okay? <clears throat> now, where does fascism fit into this? Now, some would say, well, fascism, you know, was born in Germany. It actually wasn't born in Germany. It was, it was born in Italy. It was born in Mussolini's Italy. And Hitler was a great admirer of Mussolini, whose career began earlier than, uh, than Hitler's did. And, uh, and he recreated it in, uh, in, in Germany. Now, when I was a graduate student, these things were taught as opposites. In fact, I've written this, hmm. I've said it, I was wrong. I've now experientially come to the, to the place where I realize, no, no, that's not true. We, we were always taught that uh, communism and is, is an socialism, Marxism, 
Those are expressions of the extreme left. Fascism is an expression of the extreme right because it was always understood to be a kind of mm -hmm. hyper-capitalism. Mm -hmm. But no, fascism belongs over here on the left too. Now, the leftists who are listening don't like me saying that. Oddly enough, this is something I've always thought is very odd. People on the left very frequently don't mind being called socialists or Marxists or communists. They, they generally don't resist those labels. They generally accept that they are expressions of the left, call them a fascist, and they get very, very upset mm -hmm. because they think being called a fascist is way, way, way worse. That has to do with you know Hollywood. That has to do with a kind of marketing um, that socialism is, is managed to achieve. In terms of, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> in terms of body count, socialism is way worse. Mm -hmm. Socialism killed, you know, roughly 125 million people in the previous century alone. Fascism killed about 25 million. Now, somebody listening may think I'm trying to say fascism isn't as bad. Ideologically speaking, it's every bit as bad. It's just that fascist didn't control the levers of power in as many countries mm -hmm. as communists did. Otherwise, they'd have killed you know, just as many. There's, there's no question about that. But here's, here's my discovery. And I, I, it's one of those little discoveries you get that you feel like is your discovery. Yes. You know, it's, it's something you feel like you, that you've landed on. I've come to the conclusion that fascism, not communism, fascism is the highest stage of socialism. Really? <laughs> yes. Because, and and why I don't think anybody, you know, prior to now, you're hearing it for the first time on this show. Everyone, why, get ready. There you go. Why Why I don't think that assertion was made in, in previous decades by scholars who were writing extensively on this issue is because they didn't have the benefit of, of hindsight that we now have. In other words, if you were writing in 1930 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 uh, or the 90s, you would never say what I just said because hmm. it hadn't yet to happen. So you would never say that fascism was the highest stage of socialism. But see, here's what happens. When you visit, as I have, the former communist countries of, let's just say, Vietnam, Russia, and China, had you visited them in the early 90s, you would go, ah, these are, these are formerly communist socialist countries that are still kind of running off of the fumes of that. They're trying to transition to a capitalist, free economy, free society, democratic. Mm -hmm. We believed that. People thought that's what was going to happen. We, we thought, yes, they've overthrown it. The free peoples of the world have united to overthrow Marx. But it isn't what happened. Hey, something that had yet to happen in history, hence the reason scholars never wrote about it, started emerging. And that is when you go to China now or Russia now or say in the last 10, 15 years, you would discover if you went into the GUM store, the very famous uh, State Department store uh, just off of Red Square, it's a big mall. It's uh, This before you were denied entry. <laughs> Well, well, that no, wasn't that, Russia. I was denied China. that in China. Yes. Yeah, that was before the Chinese Sorry, um, denied the... me entry um, for a second time. But it didn't matter because I'd, I'd seen enough <laughs> the first time to trash it. You knew. You're good. <laughs> I knew enough. But 
I've been to Russia several times. I've only been in China once. I was in Shanghai and in uh, in Beijing. And then, as you've pointed out, the Chinese said, you're never allowed in our country again. But um, what you discovered when you went back to Russia and then when you go to China and then when you go to, say, Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon in Vietnam, is you're looking around and you're going, Ferrari, Prada, Gap, mm. McDonald's, uh, Levi's, everywhere. Um, you're seeing the billboards. You're seeing the kind of high-end stuff you like to shop for. It was all there. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it was there and, and available. And you realized these countries no longer are they... We can't... China's not communist. Russia isn't communist. The Russia of Vladimir Putin... Um, Vietnam isn't communist, even though th- those two of those three still say they are. Mm-hmm. Vietnam and China still say that they're communist. They are fascist mm. because they realize, now stick with me here, they realize that Marxist-Leninist economics don't work. The only people who believe that nonsense reside in places like Portland and D.C. And as I say, hang out on AOC's Twitter thread. (laughs) Those are the only people who believe that nonsense. Sensible. The people who have tried it in those countries don't don't want to go back to that because they know it doesn't work. But they do want to maintain power. So what they began doing, each of those countries, and they've mimicked each other in the way that they've done it, is that they wanted to to get rid of the Marxist-Leninist economics, but maintain the communist oligarchic power, Mm -hmm. centralized power. But in order to remain in power, they need money. Mm -hmm. And they no longer had hard currency because they were poor. I love the way a comedian put it back in the... Back in the 90s, I don't know who the comedian was. I'd love to give attribution, but it was on something like Johnny Carson. But he said, you know, everybody in the world is protecting their stuff. They've got missiles to protect their stuff. The Americans have missiles to protect their stuff, and the British have missiles to protect their stuff, and the French, and 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 the Russians had missiles to protect our stuff. And this comedian, by the way, was, was Russian. He said, but one day we looked around, we realized we don't have any stuff. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> We've got missiles to protect our stuff, but we don't have any stuff. Mm. And so the these countries were losing grip on power. Mm-hmm. They were slipping in prestige. They were facing overthrows. You know, the Gorbachev mm-hmm. era and the the breaking up of the uh, of of the Soviet Union. The Chinese learned from this. And so what they did was they began loosening the hold, the Marxist-Leninist economic communist hold on the economy, and they realized we must adopt certain Western methodologies or we will become a vassal state to the West. Wow. We will become a vassal to the... They will own us. So we must adopt some of that. However, we are not loosening our grip on power over the people. So what they began doing, and this is the part that I'm telling you that, can you tell I'm kind of excited about talking yeah, just, about this? I don't get to talk about these things very, very much. This but is it's a fairly academic discussion, <laughs> but it's hopefully one that people find interesting and helpful because previous generations of scholars 
didn't get to witness this. They couldn't predict that it was coming. Nobody knew it was coming. And see, what those countries began doing is they began doing, uh, they, they began uh, uh, adopting a limited free market, limited private property ownership, what the Chinese call um, capitalism with Chinese characteristics. That's the language they use. What they mean is, we're, they're saying that private ownership is for a limited period of time. It's just to help get us through this phase. We're going to let you guys own your stuff now. We're going to allow industries to be free up to a, up to a level. However, they're still kind of directed by the government. Meaning, do you think that Apple making all of those phones in China, that the Chinese are not having some impact on what this thing looks like or what's embedded in it or stealing the technology? Mm -hmm. Those... What Americans have not understood about Chinese um, economics is that the Chinese are obligated to collaborate with their government. They just absolutely must. And traditionally in the United States, if you were an executive at Ford and the CIA said, we or FBI, we that you could say, go away. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. But that's not the way it is in China. You'll end up in a gulag. So you see, what ended up happening is you have a total you have totalitarian regimes that are set out to um, uh, merge with a limited free market economy mm -hmm. that by definition is fascism mm -hmm. that by definition is fascism where the government is controlling the economy there's still a, a, some elements of what you would call capitalism capitalism by by strict definition is 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 free. I mean, it's mm -hmm. free markets. That's what it is. But there's a limited ownership. There's limited um, a free market economics, but it's controlled by the state for the purpose of war. And you may be going, well, what do you mean for the purpose of war? Well, the Chinese are making war on the whole world, and particularly the United States, but it is uh, through economic means. That's what's happening. And in the West... The way this this fascism is looking is it's coming in the form of ESG. Mm -hmm. Now ESG, uh, some of the people in our audience maybe have to deal with it. Um, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but it means economic. It means economy. It means uh, um, society or uh, social, economic, social, and uh, governance. Mm -hmm. Yes, economic, social, and governance, and it's a kind of social credit score for companies. Mm -hmm. So that if you don't bend the knee, then we're going to say uh, Elon Musk, Tesla gets, and I don't know what the rating is, but let's say it's from one to 10. We're going to give you a two mm -hmm. because we don't think that you're, you're doing things the way we think you want to do. So they punish you. And it is a way, now, now ESG isn't fully in place right now. You can have a bad ESG score and your company still succeed wildly because the average person you know, who's buying a product doesn't look at ESG and doesn't care. But there will come a time where they do in a big way because governments will, the United States government will have all the reins of every single bit of industry. And if you step out of line, they're going to nail you on that. And it can be a, it can be a career ender. Mm -hmm. It can be the end of your business. Right. And this is government-directed economy controlled economy, private ownership, but it is it is organizing, regimenting um, the economy for the purpose of war. And you may say, well, who is the United States going to go to war against? They're already at war with a domestic population. That's right. 
so that um, once ESG is fully in place, you don't do what they want you to do. They can cut you out of everything. Right. They can they can put your name on a blacklist with companies that says Amazon, don't sell to them. And if you do, we're going to give you a bad ESG score. She's not allowed to shop in your grocery store. She's not allowed to. We will isolate you, as, as Klaus Schwab puts it, of the World Economic Forum, from society. We can isolate you from being a participating member in society. And it's like putting a Star of David mm. you know, armband on you. Um, so that's what this is. ESG is, uh, is important in regards to this, but this is, this is what fascism looks like. And let me just say this before we get a break, how this merges with Marxism, because I wince when I see people say, well, Bill Gates is a, is, is a Marxist. Bill Gates is not a Marxist. He's a billionaire. He didn't get there by being a Marxist. Marxist, you can't be a billionaire and a Marxist. You could say you are, but you 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 can't be. You have to be a capitalist to get there. So Bill Gates clearly has profited off of a capitalistic system. Or people will say that the World Economic Forum, they are all Marxists. No, they are not. They are fascists. Hmm. But what they yes. want for you is a kind of socialism, is a kind of fascist, excuse me, is a kind of Marxism, meaning that it seems that they're moving towards kind of a two-tier society where there are the super rich up here who I promise you will own stuff. You know, the, the uh, um, World Economic Forum, you know, slogan, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Right. That doesn't apply to them. They will own everything. So oligarchs, essentially. Yes, yes. So they will own everything, you know, including you and all the information about you, but, but people, that the plebes, you know, everybody else, you know, it owns nothing uh, or it has a very limited amount of anything that they have control uh, of. And this is this is what I'm talking about when I say it's a kind of fascio Marxism. I'm probably going to end up having to write it as Marxo fascism because it doesn't look right <laughs> when you write it. But fascism should be on the front end. The problem is I know the average person will look at it and go Fasco. <laughs> F-A-S-C-O. <laughs> Fasco Marsu, I can hear I hear me just now in an interview, somebody saying, Larry, you've been talking about this very interesting thing called Fasco Marxism. Please explain. <laughs> so I have a feeling I'm gonna to have to go Marxo fascism, but that actually isn't correct because it's fascism controlling Marxism. And why I'm saying, and, and again, before we go to break, just throw this in, why I'm saying the highest stage of socialism is fascism is because real communist countries end up by necessity to doing one of two things. They have become so impoverished. I mean, as you know, I was recently in Cuba. Cuba has not made the leap to fascism yet. They are still strictly socialist and communist, and you can't find a banana in that country. I mean, it's a banana republic, but I mean, it is that dirt poor. Mm. I related the, uh, the interesting story of the woman <clears throat> who was my translator and and um, I, I see on a menu, you know, Cuban sandwich, which made me wonder, is the Cuban sandwich actually Cuban or is that some kind of American which, thing? Those are delicious sandwiches, by the way. They are. And I asked her, I said, is, it a, is, is the Cuban sandwich actually Cuban? Did it originate here or is that just an American thing? Uh, like they say, the taco is an American invention. You know, it's not actually, you know, Mexican. And um, um, which we'll claim it, by the way. Uh, that's great. You're welcome, uh, world. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> But her reply to me, not trying to be funny, was, I don't know. I've never had one. 
Oh. And I said, well, why wouldn't you have had one? She said, well, because we can't afford the ingredients, which are meat and cheese. She's never had one. And I said, on this day, right now, I am ordering you a Cuban sandwich so that you can say that you've had one. But that's how poor they are. Okay. But the elites, they have plenty of nice cars. They, if there's a square meal to be had, they will get it. But see, they're still communists. But usually what happens is the country becomes so utterly destitute and poor, you're moving towards revolution or you're not able to arm yourself on the world stage that you make the leap to fascism just to remain viable. Right. So you end up having to say, well, we're going to change our economic process, but we're going to remain a dictatorship or an oligarchy or some sort of, some sort of um, authoritarian regime. And so they end up becoming fascist. And it's a weird you know, thing, but it's, it's what's happened. It's what's taking place around the world. And I ended up giving kind of a lecture on this in China because I was there with all these business delegates who are all talking about the communism, the communism, the communism. I said, guys, this country is not communist. It is fascist. And they all argued with me initially until I explained what fascism and socialism actually are. And I'm saying, look out the window. There's, there is a Porsche dealership over there. No communist country can have that. That's right. So there you go. Well, uh, let me just say, uh, on behalf of the world, um, if I had an applause button uh, for that that you've just explained to us beautifully, I would I would have the applause button going right now. Like, <laughs> cheers. Like, oh, that makes so much sense. Well, hopefully so, it does. Thank you. No, it does. Hopefully it does it, make sense. You'll go back and re-listen to it again because it makes so much sense. So thank you, Larry. Yes, ma'am. Uh, when we come back, the Twitter files. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back. Okay, Larry, there's more to say about that topic before we close out with the Twitter yeah, files. F- what fascism is, I, I do want to say a little bit more on that topic because, again, when I was when I was uh, working on a master's, you know, in the in the in the '90s, um, on European history, Russian history. It takes you into all this philosophy. Um, it was hammered home that fascism is an expression of the extreme right. And I'm ashamed to say that probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, I probably taught that. Um, and you feel possibly, you know, a little good about saying that because you feel like you're being very objective. Because, <laughs> you know, because so your true. audience, because your audience know has already identified you're a conservative and it's your way of kind of I'm not that great as a conservative. We've got yeah. our own thing. Yeah, we've got our own issues. It's, you know. it's a way of acknowledging, um, you know, that there, there can be problems on your side of the aisle. But it was, through, it was through personal, and I'm very blessed in this regard, that my work has taken me all over the world. And I would not be saying what I'm saying about fascism or what I said in the previous segment were it not the practical mm. side of things, meaning that I, I had heavy academic training, but had I just remained in the laboratory um, or in the classroom or in the library, I would not be telling you what I'm telling you. It, it came through through actual you know travel and experience and observation in those countries where I come back going, no, China is not is not communist. Russia is not communist. Vietnam is not communist. Cuba is. Uh, these countries are fascist. Now, why I, I want to spend just a moment of, of talking about 
the similarities, however, between communism or excuse me, communism. When I'm speaking of communism, fascism, and Marxism, they're not exactly the same thing. There, but they're all expressions of a socialist ideology. Okay, mm -hmm. so we. But when I refer to so them, so that's uh, the spine that's of right. the book is the socialist. Exactly. So I'm okay. referring when I refer to those three, I'm really referring to the same ideology. Mm -hmm. So you have those uh, over here, and then you have fascism. I want to talk about the similarities now between them. We talked a little bit about their differences, but let's talk about their similarities because the similarities are very important. And in pointing out the similarities, you will then understand why they're both expressions of the left. So first of all, <clears throat> I made notes for myself here. Both are atheistic and maintain a great hostility for authentic Christianity. And I want to underscore authentic Christianity. Uh, Christopher Hitchens tried to pull this off in our debate in what 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 was it 2010 I think when we debated each other uh, maybe 2011 and um, Christopher tried to say that that uh, fascism was uh, you know an expression of the right and that it, it was some kind of warped version of Christianity sheer nonsense. Um, not the case uh, at all. I mean, first of all, they are atheistic to their core. Uh, you got guys like Bonhoeffer, for instance, you know, who are arrested and executed, uh, but many other Christians in the church who were. Now, people can point to a priest or they can point to some clergyman who supported the regime. Well, of course, Hitler left those people alive because they were collaborators. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they were representatives of authentic Christianity. Right. Uh, Stalin, in 1937 alone, executed 80,000 Russian Orthodox priests. So when a guy like Hitchens would say, but there were all these Russian Orthodox churches that were still open, well, it was because they were full of KGB operatives. They were informants. You go and confess to your priest, and he goes and informs on you. So, and, and, and Russians knew this. They knew that those churches that were allowed to remain open were all collaborating with the regime. So both are atheistic to their core, both socialism and fascism. Both claim to be scientific. They love that. That's right. They so love much. the science. Follow the science. Yes. We've heard, have you heard Trust that? us. We're the experts. Exactly. So it's all about following the science. That is, uh, when, when states do not appeal to power or they don't appeal to God, they appeal to science for the, as a basis mm -hmm. for their authority. So mm -hmm. both claim to be scientific, and they both are rooted in Darwinism. Mm. Doesn't mean that socialism and socialistic ideas didn't predate Darwin, because uh, they did. But there's a reason why um, Karl Marx wanted to dedicate Das Kapital to Darwin, Darwin refused um, the dubious honor wisely, by the way. But they both claimed they they both uh, received a big spur, mm. a shot in the arm from uh, from Darwinist thought. They're both historicist. Now, historicism is the idea that history is moving irresistibly in a particular direction. We as Christians believe that. We believe we're going from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We're moving irresistibly in that direction. They believe, however, that history is controlled by impersonal, uh, um, you know, immutable laws. Mm -hmm. That the individual, for instance, the you know, histories that are told of the great individual, of the importance of Caesar, the importance of uh, Napoleon, that it doesn't matter because history is moving that direction anyway. So they both have that in common. Both of them um, 
are um, totalitarian. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Both are genocidal. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Both are, um, because they're atheistic and Darwinian, both see man as having no intrinsic value. It, man is just the raw material, the brick and mortar mm -hmm. for the building of the perfect state. So both of them believed that. And uh, both are, as a result, leftist ideologies. They really only differ on the fine print when you get right down to it. And it's for that reason that both of them maintain a great hostility for each other because they're like, they're, they're, they're bastard children of the mm -hmm. same father. Mm -hmm. And they both are claiming to be the rightful ideological heirs. And hence the reason that they engage in moral combat with each other. But both of them are leftist ideologies. And, and it's because conservatism, whether it's a conservative, conservatism has its roots in one of two places, either in uh, the idea of classical Greece, mm -hmm. you know, of, 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 uh, uh, of a classical context, or in the Christian faith. And I would argue that all conservatism really has its roots in the Christian faith, even those who don't acknowledge it mm -hmm. as such. I, Greece wasn't democratic in any meaningful sense, and that's a discussion for another day. But, um, but anyway, um, the Christian faith is what gave rise to, to freedom as we know it and as we understand it, and uh, the idea that the individual has dignity and has value. So anyway, that's why the, the, those two are, are both on the left. So when we're looking at culture today and people are looking for where they can see this, we know where we're seeing it, but where are you seeing it in glaring, live, and living color, if you could see in color? Where are you seeing this most? Well, I'm seeing it most in the United States because I believe that what the radical left represents in the United States is fascism. Mm -hmm. That's what, and that doesn't mean, and I want to be clear, the left isn't monolithic. They don't all believe the same thing. They're not all driven by the same ideology. But the Biden administration is fascist. Yes. Okay? The social engineers are fascists. The World Economic Forum is a new kind of fascism. It's fascism repackaged. It isn't necessarily anti-Semitic or wants to send all the Jews to the gas chambers, but it's still fascism because they do want to send people to the gas chambers. I mean, they've admitted this. They, they don't say gas chambers. They just say we want to reduce the global population from 8 billion to 2 billion or less, and we want to do it peacefully. This is fascism. That's who they are. And why this matters, in case you think I'm just engaging in a, you know, a, fanciful discussion, a fanciful discussion that this is just a, it's in you in order to identify, to properly attack and defend your position, uh, attack the opponent's uh, position and defend your own, you must understand the enemy. And too often Christians do not understand their enemy. They don't understand it. They mislabel it. They misattribute motive. Uh, these kinds of things. They do it all the time. And, and I thought we did this. I made this point after 9-11. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, by the way, made the point brilliantly in his book, Understanding, or excuse me, What's So Great About America. Mm -hmm. I, I required my children to read that book. It's a great book. But after 9-11, the argument was, that what did, they, what did they say about the terrorists? They're what? crazy. Yeah. Anybody who flies planes into the sides of yeah, buildings, completely they're crazy. crazy. Now, the people who are making this argument weren't being dishonest and saying it. They believed it. And it's because 
they're of a very secular mindset. And in a secular mindset, there is no God and there's nothing worth really dying for. Okay, because this life is all you get. So the idea that someone would get into a plane and fly into the side of a building, the only explanation for that is that person is nuts. But you see, Christians should intuitively understand why they did it. And the reason is because, not because we're Muslims, but because we do believe there's something worth it. Like Muslims, we do have some things we in common with them. We do believe that there are higher laws. We do believe there is life after death. We do believe that there is reward and punishment after death. And we do believe there are things worth dying for. Mm. So I can get in the head of a Muslim and go, you know, I, you're dying for a false God and you're dying for the wrong thing. But I can, at some level, respect the guy who says, my faith is such that I put it ahead of my own life and I'm willing to die for it. So they weren't crazy. Right. They were quite orthodox Muslims mm -hmm. who believed in a false God to such a degree that they were willing to die for that. So when you're trying to understand 9-11 from a secular point of view and you put that key in, the tumblers don't line up. It, it doesn't work. But when you look at it from the perspective of their religion, which is the way you need to understand it, suddenly the tumblers do line up and the key opens and you go, ooh, I know what's driving these people. So the point as it relates to this is that if we are to defend what we believe matters in this country, we must understand what we're facing. And what we're facing is a new kind of fascism. Now, Marxism is something you need to understand too, because again, as we've, we've pointed out during the show, there is an important interplay between the two. Yes. Both are at work. The ideas of Saul Alinsky are at work in the culture. But if you think that what we're looking at is strictly Marxist, you're not going to understand what those tumblers don't line up. It's a combination of both. Wow. Wow. That, okay. It's listen. donuts today and coffee it, again. Yes. It, uh, <laughs> thanks, producer Matt, for the donuts. Listen, so we'll get to Twitter files next time because that was a supremely important discussion. Yeah, sorry. And professor, we thank you for that. <laughs> um, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. We will see you next time. The lights, the party's over. <laughs> they say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance.